You're listening to the Howland Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm joined in the PC bong again with Hal. Howdy. Today we're going to talk about how teachers move from being public school teachers to getting great careers as hagwon owners, making 100000 200000 300000 bucks a year. It's kind of clickbaity, but we thought you guys would get a kick out of that typical transformation that you see with uh, teachers, so stay tuned. Alright, as always, um, go to howandsteveenglish.com to check out our resources and our materials. Uh, we have a great store you can go shopping in if you'd like to buy conversation lessons. We have a great teacher's membership. You can sign up, get uh, our lesson library completely at your fingertips for a month. It's pretty cheap. And uh, if you go to our blog section, you can get a bunch of our free resources. So we've got a ton of great card games there. Um, Hal, what's the most recent card game you've made? Uh, I've been making the uh, bomb games, which are which are real popular at, uh, with teachers in Korea. I know. And uh, uh, from next week, I'll be publishing a new uh, travel curriculum for for a conversation for adults. Great, great. So you go there. That stuff's free. And um, again, if you guys like what we do and you want to continue supporting us and you want to see more of that stuff pop up there, go ahead and do support us by purchasing something at the store or signing up for a monthly membership. All right, how so the wild world of Hagwon ownership? Yeah, exciting. Exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a clickbaity title that we started off with, but it's kind of true. Um, it's the route that we took. It's a route that a lot of people are taking. And... It's basically, you know, one of the avenues opening to you if you've invested so many years into becoming a better and better teacher. You can't really go back home as an ESL teacher and find too many great jobs available. Um, you can move up to university, but even folks that move from public school jobs or academy jobs to public school jobs, public school jobs to university jobs, typically also end up going into ownership of a private academy or private uh, education business right and I guess you wanna you know distinguish there's some of us that love teaching or some of us that don't there's some of us that just want just love the expat life and so uh, I think it's a natural transition if you wanna keep living the expat life to you know get out of the uh, front lines there but stay within the teaching world and, and keep that expat life Definitely, definitely. And I was thinking, um, what are the, some of the motivations for people moving from their current positions into opening up their own academy or study room or becoming a tutor? And I almost always think that it accompanies a great lifestyle change. I think usually it has to do with settling down with somebody. So, getting married or, um, you know, getting serious with a boyfriend or girlfriend, <coughs> usually they're looking toward that next step in life where they, you know, I need to have a reliable income, I might need to get a house, I might need to be able to support a kid, and usually I feel like it has more to do with that than anything else as far as motivation goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's great because that's an internal factor, right? That's a lifestyle change in your own life, but... What pops into my mind are the more external causes, which are the typical experience of working at a hagwon, working for a incompetent boss, or having a you know just a, a position where there's no respect and where you feel like you can make a difference, you can do better. So I think there's a lot of uh, those external factors that that push you that way as well. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Because we definitely didn't have kids when we opened up our uh, our academy. We still don't have kids with each other, but we separately ended up getting married to different people and having kids. Yeah. So that was six years ago? Maybe about six years ago we decided that, yeah, working at public schools wasn't that great and working at the academies wasn't that great. For me, it was just, like, on the first day and I... And it might be trite to say, and I really, I know we have a lot of new 
uh, a lot of listeners that are just new to teaching ESL abroad and they're in that honeymoon phase, that first six months or two year period where everything's beautiful and everything's great and every negative experience they have is just, oh, that's an exception, not the rule. If you stay here longer than that, you realize, oh, no, these things are habitual. So for me, for example, would be uh, things that I didn't like at public school was I just didn't feel like there was anything beyond um, babysitting or just being the stereotypical Westerner to stand up in the room. It's kind of like the common complaints that people put on Dave's ESL. So when I arrived there in the contract, there was supposed to be training. There was supposed to be all this all this support for me. I was supposed to have a co-teacher. And if anybody's ever listened to our podcast or ever read any of my blog posts before, any ever read any of my warnings about coming and uh, teaching ESL before, you can hear my story. I did. My co-teacher bailed on the first day. He said, oh, this year I'm really busy. So you're going to be alone with the kids. There was no training whatsoever. There was supposed to be like a two-week training period. Um, so, you know, typically like the best training program for being an ESL teacher is one month long. The, the certificate for that typically is about one month long. So two weeks is like, yeah, no, that's acceptable. I've never taught ESL, but two weeks is good enough. But yeah, that didn't get that. So like, and then throughout the course of the year, it was just like that. No support, no no help, no guidance. And then everything around you was not built for actual ESL education. It was like, even in school, the way they were taught English was for passing a test. And by pass, it's not skills to learn, like you're not learning English skills to pass the test. Memorizing walls of text so that they can identify the text on the test question and then circle the right answer. like. Oh, Rollo went to the park today would be the sentence they would have to memorize. And then on the test, they'll say, Rollo did go to the park today. Is the sentence right or wrong? And they'd have to realize from memory, oh, right, wrong, and check that. And But they weren't really learning anything. And so there's really no role for me there. You know, even if I became the greatest ESL teacher and trained myself on my own and invested in myself, there's no great role for me there. So that would be why I was so happy to start the Howland Steve English Academies. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. In my case. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's best case scenario for is a pub is the public school system, right? If you start out in the public school system, there are redeeming qualities. I think as compared to the the Hogwan market, where there's a lot more negative stuff that happens, and it's not as regulated. But. Uh, in my case, I had a, a great three-year experience at a public school, but that's because I didn't know anything about teaching, and I didn't have a teaching degree. I just had a, a psych degree and a philosophy degree, so, um, so I was learning. The kids weren't, so I, I guess it's not really any different in that way. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of just like a, you know, going to another country and and the ki the you're learning a lot from the other people and they're learning a lot from you, like a cultural exchange, rather yeah. than me teaching English. Yeah. Which I thought, which I thought was a great thing. Like these these, I was deep in the countryside at the DMZ, so that that cultural exchange was really amazing and I guess that's what saved me from taking a close look and being distraught about how bad the uh, English education system was um, but yeah I just uh, at a certain point the working within that system kind of got to me and you begin to puzzle like why not do this myself I think it's, yeah, it's a natural progression. Yeah, and it's, there, that's definitely true. And they're just like, just really fundamental things that just didn't add up. Um, that were, you know, when you're a kid and like, people ask you questions to elicit answers from you and to get you creatively thinking. And then I never saw any teachers do that around me. 
and then I never saw any kids respond to me when I did that to them, I thought, oh my god, this is this is something that these kids really need. They need to have the ability to think, critical thought, problem-solving skills, but they're only being taught to memorize things. So I thought, I only see them maybe once or twice a week during the good months. During the break times, I never see them. It just wasn't that fulfilling. And like you said, it'd be interesting um, to open up our own academies. Which is interesting that we started with only adults for about two years. I'm still like that. I still, you know, get fed up with children and then I want to teach adults. And then I, after two or three years, I get fed up with adults and I yeah. want to teach children. So yeah, our motivations might be a little bit different, but now, like, if I had been a public school teacher up until the time when Leah was born, I would have been probably pretty stressed out, although I was already stressed out, but I would have really, in that situation, thought, what can I do? Like, what, what avenue, what do I do? Like, do I go back home and get a real job as, like, my friends used to snide and say to me, you know, like, when are you coming back to the real world? Or would I go back to working at that one university that we worked at, Shinhan, for a slight pay bump of 500 bucks a month? It would have been a difficult decision, but now what you see is just people opening up private education companies non-stop making a ton of money like um especially if you work with your spouse like it's not inconceivable to comfortably make 100,000 bucks a year working six hours a day alongside your spouse it's difficult it's stressful it's it's weird but it's doable and in highly populated areas with a lot of elementary schools and a lot of young families, people make two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. It's really not that uncommon. And you know, we did that when we opened up our academy within the first two years. The adult program, seventy students. You know, just with the adult program, got over a hundred thousand in recurring revenue. And then with the children, you not to two torns, but over two hundred thousand, right? So. Um, I guess that's, who wouldn't, like, I couldn't recommend it enough. Like, instead of immediately deciding to ship up and go home, take a stab at this. Is what I would tell anybody who thinks that there's no opportunity for them beyond public school or university jobs. Oh yeah, there's no question that the opportunity is there. But yeah, I mean, you gotta, you, you, I'd say you, you got a learning curve of a year where it's going to be tricky, but you know, once you get past that first year and you got the experience under your belt, it's a, the wide open market. The money's there. And I really, that's kind of like the third thing I want to talk about is that learning curve because I think people with business experience from the West are going to be really shocked when they try to run a business here. So they've already been employees here probably as teachers before they open up their own study room or hagwon and then they, oh, you know, I kind of understand. My boss treated me this way, my employees, coworkers treated me this way. When you open up your own business here, what a wide awakening it is in so many regards. And then also, in terms of being an educator, you know, you might, you might teach the best way in the world doesn't matter it's not the way it's done locally you're not you're not going to be successful but i guess before we talked about that i'd like to talk about um you know what exactly hagwon or academy is and really why it's more than just an academy um people use hagwon kind of like as a catch-all word which, oh, i'm gonna open an academy well what exactly does that mean so in korea at least there's a lot of different variations and and as a precursor guys um, if you're interested in a lot more of this Hogwan stuff, we do have a website called WeStartedAHogwan.com where you can go check out a lot of long-form articles and guides that we wrote up. Um, also, one of our buddies, Tony Che, has an interesting site for Hogwans. And, you know, if you're interested in this topic, we'll go ahead and create an, and release our book on making this. 
happen because um, we've got it all written up. It's just waiting to be published. Anyway, you know, there's just at least in Korea, there's a lot of different things. There's at the most basic way you have to think about like as a private education, a private educator. You can be a private teacher, going around to homes or random cafes, wherever, and teaching, right? And you're kind of just a cowboy charging your own prices. Uh, the, lega the legalities are are tricky because there's the law, there's how they enforce the law towards you, and then there's how they enforce the law on everybody else who seems to do illegal teaching and have illegal businesses nonstop. But you know you can't really do much about that. So I, I won't mention too much legally what these definitions mean because there's the law, and then there's what the local uh, bureaucrat is willing to turn his eye the other direction on, which is a lot. So anyway, private teaching, you know, tutoring. Um, and then I'd say like the next step is just the study room in the apartment, which in Korea is called a gombubang. And that's, I think the more you veer towards group classes, the more profitable you become per hour, obviously. So maybe one-on-one -on -one you'd charge 50 to 100,000 won per hour, which is a lot. That's like 50 to 200 bucks. But in a group class, you can get, you know, up to nine or ten kids in a class if you're teaching conversational English. If you're teaching cram style, you can get much more than that. Perhaps not the most legal way to do it, but it's done quite frequently. And you can charge in some places. For example, where we live, it's 12,000 won per hour. Um, that's our maximum that we can charge. So we teach six hours per week, and then we teach 24 hours per month. So the maximum we can charge is like 200, what we charge is 250,000 won per hour. It's right about the maximum. We're in northern Gyeonggi-do, so it's far away from Seoul. The more south you go, the more you can charge per hour because there's it's newer, it's richer, there's younger families, there's a lot of business, it's booming. So people charge 20,000 won per hour, which is nearly double, right? So again, a study room with five kids in a class, with five classes a day at 20,000 won per hour can really start to turn up a lot of money. That could be if you teach every day, 400,000 won per kid. I'm not sure if I'm explaining these that well. I'm kind of ranting on about them. How, what do you think? Should I be more organized? No, uh, I don't. I don't know either. But I mean, uh, yeah, maybe let's tackle. Let's tackle tackle one of those business models. Okay, let me just explain. Let me just explain them all real quickly, and then we'll ta we'll ta discuss which one we like the most. So yeah, there's being a private teacher, then there's being a study room owner, which means you have an apartment and you basically treat it like an academy, you have classes in there, and typically you service the local elementary school and your apartment complex. You don't have a wider field than that, typically. Your local apartment complex and your local elementary school, and that's usually going to be it. After that, you have a gyosupso, or basically like a study room in a commercial building. So. It doesn't have the prestige of being a hagwon, and it doesn't have like the relaxed expectations of being a study room in an apartment. So you're kind of in a weird place. And it's basically if you don't want to run a business inside your home, you run it there. And again, that doesn't really service people in the city. It services people from the nearby apartments and the nearby elementary school. Like in the immediate area. Moving past that, you have hagwons. Now, there's a difference between a hagwon and oh hagwon. So hagwons typically don't have a native speaker unless the husband's the native speaker um, or the wife's the native speaker. Typically, they're for studying for tests and things like that. They're not for English as we would teach it. Those can service a much wider area. Those are going to be the ones you see in the downtown section that have a wider field. And then after that, you have Ohagwan, so a language school. A, for, a language school, and that means it has a foreign speaker. So that's going to be like the largest one, typically. And it's going to have a native speaker, 
and typically that's what if you want to have a hagwon or if you're a foreigner and you want to have a English education business you're either going to register as a study room or that hagwon you're typically not going to do a gyosip so which is the study room in the commercial building and you're not going to do a bosu hagwon which is like the smaller style hagwon that doesn't allow you to have any native speaker teachers unless it's the husband or the wife of the owner all right i clumsily just explained all that out um which one do you want to tackle? I love study rooms. We have hogwans, but every time I see a study room, I get jealous because their profit might be slow, slightly lower, but the headaches seem so smaller, so much smaller. Yeah, you're the lead. Just uh, which one do you think? Hmm. Well, I guess since we're talking about uh, hogwans. I guess, why don't we just briefly talk about what it's like to have this largest type of hagwon and kind of the pros and the cons to that and talk about the study room after that. What it's like to have... What it's like to have one of our type of hagwons. Okay. Okay, so again, guys, this is kind of the journey from being a public school teacher to making, you know, $200,000 $200, or more in income every year. And so it's not that gradual. What you basically do is you decide that you don't want to be a Hagwan teacher, employee, you don't want to be a school teacher, you don't want to be a university teacher, and you decide that you're going to save up money and open it up. And if you open up a Hagwan, that's kind of the biggest thing you can do. You know, that's not easing your way into the market, that's just jumping straight in. And that's what Hal and I did. And Hal, did you know that we shouldn't have done that? That we should have went smaller? Uh, no. No, I didn't know many things. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but I think that's, you know, that's just my personal philosophy is make, uh, make the decisions and then figure it out along the way. Yeah, so typically to open up a Hagwon legally, you have to be, you have to have an F visa. If you have an F visa, that means typically that you're married to a Korean citizen, or you've been here long enough and you pass the language requirements, you can get that visa. You can open it up, or you can get an investment visa, which when we opened was $100,000, yeah. so that's what we did. We went ahead and brought over $100,000 between all of us, and um, yeah, we just opened up the Hagwon, and we hired um, our staff and got the visas, everything, everything in place. It was a lot of money from every step, it was a lot of money. And it was really difficult. So I guess when you when you start the Hagwon, you have to deal with a lot of different things that are really stressful. The most stressful things, I think, are the government. Because you have to deal with so many different government agencies in order to get verified. And not a single one of them will ever get on the phone with another person from the other agency. So you have the education office. You have the immigration office, and then you have the fire, the local fire and safety code department, and you also have the local city hall, which is in charge of your business licensing. There might be more than that, but those are the four that cause us the most stress because they all kind of have these, you know, it's kind of like a mismatched Venn diagram of overlapping responsibilities, and the terms for passing city halls uh, rules are actually slightly different than passing Yangju immigration's rules and they kind of conflict with each other too. So you have to fail one person's approval process in order to get approved by the other and they refuse to talk to each other. And I remember specifically um, the idea, what's even more frustrating is when you initially go to find a building you can't get, there's no pre-approval process, basically. You can't say, I'm looking at this building, can you let me know if this fits the size requirements and everything's good here. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even look at the paperwork. They say, when you buy it, when you've built the interior, when you have all your furniture in there and you're all set up for class, we'll come and we'll say, yes, you can teach in here, or no, you can't. And so that's just a, that was a really stressful process. Yeah, I'm... Um 
I think that, yeah, there's a different concept of law here. So it, I agree it was very stressful because um, I wanted to follow the law to a T, but you don't, you don't feel like you're able to because you're talking to these competing or these, these agencies. And the, I don't know if the Hagwan laws, the education system in general, it's been in a flux. I think it's still in a flux as far as the changing laws, and the I mean, they're they're rest they're completely restructuring even the public education system. So, the uh, private uh, education system, the uh, the laws are kind of a mess. So, yeah, that's a headache. If if you're like me and Steve, and you wanna you wanna logically be able to work through and follow a, a process. Yeah, I thought opening businesses in America was difficult and frustrating because that's where my experience came from. I had a few businesses in America prior to this. One was a digital marketing agency. And, you know, going to the bank, getting your paperwork filled out, going to your accountant, getting your paperwork filled out, going to your state attorney's office, getting your paper filled out, and getting all sorted was such a pain because they say, uh, you know what, you're missing this document. You've got to go back there and get it. But if you were to call them in America they would tell you oh yeah you need these documents you need to get this so it's tedious and that's what makes it frustrating here you just basically have to break so many laws and as foreigners you were under so much scrutiny and it's so stressful because you don't know what is just oh this is the culture and, oh, this dude's trying to take advantage of me. So there's so many instances where a government official would tell us that something's unnecessary, don't worry about it. And we'd have to really pressure them and say, listen, I really think this is important. I don't want to be declined for approval for owning this academy because you said it wasn't important to me, but the next guy in line is going to say, no, you're wrong. Because that happened within the single day. An individual will lie and say, oh, no, 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 you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. Oh, wait, you do need that after we pressure them. But then everybody will have conflicting opinions. And I guess maybe listeners don't really know, so maybe here's an example. Um, signs. So the exterior signs. We made our academy name. And... We, I think we put our academy name in English as well because if you look around, every academy, academy name's in English. And for some reason, I remember when we were registering, the guy behind it said, I can't put English on the business name, it needs to be all in Korean. And I thought, okay, no big deal because every academy name is in English in big font and they're big logos. So we paid, I don't know, $5,000 $7,000 to get our signs made for the building, had them professionally installed, they were in English, you know, with some Korean text explaining what we do, and we got cited because, oh, your actual business name is Korean, and your sign on your building's in English, and we explained, well, you we were told that it's illegal to have our name be in English but obviously if you look at these other academies Pagoda or uh, even even Korean Korean Hagwans Hanguk University is spelled out in English Hanguk University foreign language Hagwan um, they're all in English and so he didn't care. He just dismissed that. So either the person that originally told us that our name couldn't be in English was wrong or everybody else is doing something illegal. That's kind of the catch-22 that you're constantly living in. So what we had to do is print off really crappy stickers and hang outside the window and slap stickers of our Korean business name on the exterior because we couldn't afford to pay the old guy in the truck to come with his crane and put you know fix this for us for five thousand dollars and those things are so stressful to deal with and it was so many experiences like that that were several thousand dollar experiences and then also oh we're gonna shut down your business or this is illegal you can't do that type of experience 
that really was just so stressful and it, you know stressed me out stressed you out now it stresses the wives out and it just never it never really seems to end so if you're thinking about wanting a hogwan um i mean that's just a huge headache yeah i think you got number one on the list there the uh the legalities and uh, the experience of working with those um, agencies. Yeah, so I think I think that's kind of like number one when you start off is just getting getting through the agencies, and then when you actually come to your building, there's so many different things that you have to do. What it comes down to, I think, though, is expectations, and I think people when they go into private teaching and now we're talking about hogwans but the motivation or their idea no matter what is probably the same they've worked in a lot of different places and then they've discovered that wow this is really bad these kids aren't learning anything the kids can't answer questions in english the kids can't do anything except answer these multiple choice questions on a test surely i'm gonna i can i can do better in my sleep and so they probably could and so they they brazenly just wake up with that idea that I'm actually going to bring real English to my city or into my little neighborhood. I'm going to bring real English and once people see that I've got real English offerings, they're going to sign up by the drove. And that does not happen. Right. That's a that's another one, right? That's the that's the most fresh that's that's one of the most frustrating I think is um your expectation versus the reality. So your expectation is, oh, surely everybody can see that, oh, my kid can't speak English. My kid can't produce real English. My kid can't write sentences. Oh, at the other academies, why is that person fresh out of university and why is he drinking till 2 a.m.? Why is that native speaker drinking till 2 a.m. on a Wednesday night? And you think moms will, or parents will surely recognize that you're a more serious person and you actually care about your students and you offer yourself as the main teacher the a native speaker is the main teacher that's amazing it's not one and at once in a week or twice a week with just the local university drunk it's it's the real teacher right but either parents don't recognize or don't care because that's not that big of a deal that's not that big of a selling issue right and that's really interesting to unpackage. I don't really know how to unpackage that the right way. Why don't parents really care? Because you would expect, for example, um, maybe it would be like going to America and saying, oh, you guys like Taco Bell? Wait till I introduce real authentic Mexican food. And then being shocked when people still eat Taco Bell. Yeah, right. What are you guys doing? This is garbage. What are you, why are you guys eating this? This is, this is the worst food ever. Yeah, I don't, I feel like, uh, you know, they just, the parents want those test scores and then they want kind of a, you know, babysitting service, like somewhere to take care of the kids and I, yeah, I don't think they care about the, uh, you know, the, the other things as much that you're speaking of. Well, I think it's something you talked about the other, the other day on one of our podcasts, which is the appearance of learning is more important than the actual learning. And you were talking about it in regards to our adult students. Our adult students, the issues that we had with some of them was they didn't want to actually put themselves out there and hold conversations with us in class and just put the time in. They wanted to have books that they could progress through and write in and copy and paste words into just so they can see that they've got a stack of things that they've completed. And the parents are no different with their children. Right, so yeah, exactly. they would they would sooner send their kid to an academy to sit down for two hours and write vocabulary words five times each, which those types of academies exist and they're very popular. And there's no research that indicates that that's a very good way to learn a language at all, even if you just want to pass a multiple choice test in middle school and high school. There's nothing that indicates that's good. But there's some type of stereotype that that is learning and so they would much sooner do that because they can see the evidence in their hands as opposed to exposure to communication and, and listening and speaking 
yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's difficult. It puts them out of their comfort zone, I think. So, yeah. And so that that was, I mean, if you start off trying to bring in some type of CEFR scaled material, especially if you're not in a really affluent area, and you're trying to teach how you've been, or you're trying to offer um, some type of Western style ESL or EFL service, you're you're kind of fighting the wrong war. You're kind of you're going from the other end of things. It's kind of like the most difficult way to start a hagwon, as opposed to just having a traditional Korean style hagwon and offering yourself as like just the fun native teacher for once or twice a week. So especially if you're going to open a, an academy and hire teachers or work with your wife or your husband who might be a Korean native or a, a native in whatever country they are, they could teach the core curriculum and you're the fun person, which I think in that way, you can, like a ninja, teach according to your rubric. But something that was always difficult for us in our academies is we are the head teachers at all of our academies. So we're just fighting tooth and nail against some type of stereotype that, oh, uh, Korean teacher can teach it more effectively. or And the kids need to have these giant workbooks of, and they need to be learning past, present, future present perfect simple conditional could would should all at the same time from the very first day as opposed to having a nice scaled learning process right yeah so yeah expectations expectations so you can't you can't just open up and say oh i'm gonna offer authentic tacos and they're gonna love it it's like no you should you should still offer taco bell you should still offer that nacho bell grande but just, you know, put some, ease in some authentic carnitas on the side or some pico on the side. You know, something authentic. You have to, you still have to offer that main thing that they expect. Yeah, for instance, what they expect is the, uh, as far as output, as far as speaking, they um, have them, you know, if it's just a hagwan with a traditional method, they they will ask the native teacher to write a speech and then <laughs> for the kid and you'll write it feeling like questionable like is what's happening thing is what i think happening happening like are they going to oh. actually have the kids all memorize this or a, a template basically where the kids insert a bit and then they'll have the kids memorize it and put them in front of a camera and record it and then send it to the parents and the parents will be like, wow, that's amazing, they're speaking. They just gave a, the best, the, the most impressive form of, you know, speaking. They can give a presentation. So, you know, that's how you can, I guess as Steve said, sneak the grande in there is you can actually teach them how to give a presentation, how to speak, not just have them memorize something, but you've got you've to kind of follow, you've got to work within the system. That's a really great point, man. I, I forgot, and again, so that's kind of like your expectations are so important. And it, that also speaks to just how long we've been here and how much we take for granted for how much we've kind of assimilated and you know, we can roll with the punches because just about every day working at another academy, you're going to see something that's just the most mind-boggling thing in the world. I was driving on the road the other day, and a car stopped in the middle of the high, a, th a three-lane highway going 80 kilometers an hour to reverse because they, were, they just realized they missed their left turn to then turn left. That's baffling. Yeah. And that's what you see everywhere and that's what you see inside the academy it's like oh yeah my kid learned speaking oh cool cool yeah like oh speaking so the teacher teaches them some target language teaches them questions and answers and sentences and negative statement grammar and then they practice doing games or activities no the teacher writes a, the, the native teacher or the, the local teacher writes a script she brings it to the native English teacher to double check her 
Yeah. And then she gives yeah. it to the child to sit there and memorize. Again, what we were talking about before, just memorizing. Yeah. And so you have some... It's... It's, it's what would be called fraud elsewhere. But it's just kind of like what's expected. And I try to show parents videos of authentic speaking in my class. I try to have... Remember we used to have windows in our classes so parents could look in? Yeah, yeah, right. And that was... That caused more problems than just if we had a really cheesy, rehearsed script. Because the parents have been so desensitized. They're so used to their expectation. Their expectation is this this fake script that a child has memorized and recites. Oh, sh he speaks so well. They don't care. They don't even care that the kid doesn't know understand any of the words. And I just showed a video of my kids using present simple accurately, present simple for habits, present simple using scheduling in days and times. And the parents got upset. And I remember there's a great anecdote. Somebody taught their kids how to use uh, a presentation software how to write a presentation, how to go about drawing up their thesis statements and their three points and their conclusions. And he was so excited because he did it for a month. He took videos of it and had the parents come. And during the presentation, when the kids pronounced shampoo in the very Korean way, shampoo, she quit. Yep. She withdrew her kid because he mispronounced the word. Yeah, red and flag if you're, for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you own a hogwan or if you own an academy, that's what you're gonna you're gonna face with these just inane things. And so, you, it's the, everything that you do the right way that you know to be the right way and the ethical way is kind of just gonna sometimes hit you in the face and cause you to lose money, and cause you to have a bad reputation, and cause you in the long run to not have as many students because you're not you're not fitting what parents expect out of you. Yeah, agreed. So I guess the, I mean, that's really just the cons there. Like, those are the two main cons, I guess. You know, you have to change what you expect because you've been trained or you have experience or you've researched yourself how to be a good teacher and how to do it the best way. Yeah, and I, I don't think we, like, I don't necessarily think we need to get into it um, on this on this discussion, but I would say maybe third is um, relational stuff, like relationships, uh, your relationships with your customers, the moms, and the uh, business relationships. I think, uh, yeah, thinking about it now, I kind of want to move it up to number one because it's everything is defined by the uh, hierarchy of relationships here. So. Uh, with your customers, you—that's your biggest considera consideration. I could talk for ten hours about that. That—that's so true because what I found, and I think again, I mentioned this on different podcasts, is I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong, and it's so sobering and so humbling because I come from that business background in the United States. So I had, you know, the Geek website. For those of you who want to know a dirty little secret, I had a uh, popular little geeky website from 2011 to 2015. Crowning achievement was getting 3.3 million unique visitors for a short while. Went back down after that, but yeah, had that going. And then, um, you know, digital marketing grew out of that. Did a lot of SEO services. And, you know, managing your relationships with customers was dealt with a lot of transparency a lot of ongoing communication and a lot of uh, responsiveness so they would come to me with their issues or their worries and I'd respond and I'd be helpful and I would tell them how I can help them and how they can help themselves really here whenever I try to help employee or help folks they need a favor or something doesn't really work out right it's actually like the parent is haggling with me and the more she haggles it, that's not a, an individual favor in itself that sets a precedent that she can then expect me to continue doing in the future until you know I don't and then she quits because oh 
I was paying you to do that for me. I was paying you to pick my kid up in the rain today, every every time it rained, because I asked you that one time. Which, you know, that's kind of... It's hard, because if you're really strict, then you're cold, and you're not going to do well here in Korea. Then... As a foreigner, you try and figure out, well, okay, then how responsive, how empathetic, how much do I need to move towards them to bridge that gap? And for me, I've never figured it out. I absolutely haven't figured it out. I will figure it out. But I can relate to what you should do. I can tell you how to do it because I've seen my wife do it. But anytime I, um, I try to come up with something new out of the cooking book, it's a failure. So, especially when you first start an academy, you're going to get the misfits and the dropouts and the weirdos that don't fit into other academies. And they're going to come along with their misfits and their dropout moms. And they're just going to haggle with you. They're either going to directly haggle with you, or their kid is going to be just like a selfish, spoiled kid usually also. Those are the type that come along the first few weeks you're open because they fight with everybody else at other academies. And that mom knows her kids fights at every other academy. Because you're new and you don't have reputation yet, she thinks she can bully you around. And anyway, you're gonna have to deal with a lot. Yeah, I just want to say Steve's not making this up. There are <laughs> words in Korean for a lot of this phenomenon. It's yeah. not opinion-based stuff. It's like there's a word for these types of things in the language that happen that that we don't know about, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I know a lot of them now, but I won't say them in case in case a student of mine is listening, then I'm just going to lose all the respect in the world because uh, Steve used that bad word for this type of person. But yeah, so I guess we mostly talked about cons when it comes to the academy ownership because they're, they're just so big. Actually, you know what? Don't open an academy. Like, really, I would I can't say that enough. If you're a foreigner, don't open an academy. An academy is appealing to somebody who is native to the country. These large academies, of, of course, is what I'm talking about. Um, the study room is your golden ticket to financial freedom, I really think. But these these large academies really are just um, a huge, huge amount of work for you and probably for your spouse if you're going to end up owning one. And they're really made for a local, like... If I think about how many 40 or 50 year old women or 40 or 50 year old men go to seminars on how to get rich after retiring, and how many of those seminars are about opening up a kimbap restaurant, a donkast restaurant, and an English hagwon, they're probably just a million of them. Like, that's what they do, is like, they try and target people with enough savings to buy into their franchise. Mm, yeah. And you just, right. it was much more prevalent in the 90s, right? Like just old soldiers retiring and opening up an English academy. Yeah. <laughs> so you have these old, uh, just opening up English academies. And they have no idea what they're doing. They're just trying to turn a buck. And, but they can turn a buck very easily. So why would you get into that space? Why would you get into that space where um, there's so much misinformation. The parents ex have crazy, weird, bad expectations because of all the, because this, because they're listening to some retired soldier who doesn't know how to teach, but doesn't want the mom to know that he doesn't know how to teach. So he's reciting all this BS from some franchise organization he bought into, and then that mom comes to you and judges you because hey, this guy said my kid's gonna learn a thousand words a month. Why can't you do that? You don't want to get into that space because you're going to have to do so much rehabilitation on so many customers. Instead, what I recommend is what the trend seems to be now is young, smart moms sending their kids to study rooms, foreign-owned study rooms, during the elementary years. Yeah, that's key. Yeah, cause elementary students are the best at, as well because they don't have to worry about their stupid school tests, which are just memorization tests. So, uh, yeah, study rooms, like we said before, study rooms are just teaching out of your house. Up to nine students in the class maximum. Some people do a lot more than that because they have students go in the other room. Not technically legal, but as you'll discover, a lot of stuff is not legal. 
And yeah, you can charge a lot of money. There are people charging 300,000 won for four hours a week. We can never get away with charging that in our academies. And if you, that's like having one th or two thirds of the amount of students that we would have. Maybe maybe half. Like they could make as you can make as much money as owning a hagwon with half the amount of students, depending on where you live and how much you charge. Because you have to think about all the expenses that the academy has: rent, staff, uh, utilities. Especially in the winter, in the summer, all the ACs and the heaters running. It can easily it minimally is five or six thousand dollars a month in expenses. If you teach out of your house, your expenses are zero because those are your living expenses. You have to heat your house, you have to cool your house. So immediately you save five or six thousand dollars a month. Um, on top of that, depending on where you live, you can charge, you know, four hours a week, 300,000 won. Four hours a week, 250,000 won. Five times a week, you know, uh, 240,000 won. Those are actually really good prices for academies that are outside of Seoul. If you charge that in a study room and you only teach four hours, like academies teach six hours sometimes. They teach, some academies teach five hours, 90 minutes a day for 230,000 won. If you can teach fewer hours for much more, to much better students because you're teaching young students from moms who are motivated to learn English the right way because they had that experience going to crappy middle school academies and going to crappy high school academies. They know how terrible their experience as a kid was. They know and are embarrassed that they can't speak English. They see through the facade. You should jump on that. And even if you just have 20 students, what a mitzvah. Like, it's so... What a, what a great way to liberate yourself from the monotony and the basically the unfulfilling life of teaching 40 middle school kids who are just trying to not cry in class because they have to memorize so much stuff every day. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard of this uh, concept, I would just uh, Google it and you can, you can see like a basic breakdown because I think a lot of people are unaware of like Steve said, the, the different different forms of hogwans. Um, and I agree, like the, the the study room one makes the most sense. Um, first of all, with the, the legalities we talked about, the legalities are a lot more lax. And uh, our second, second one, as far as expectations, you're gonna do better there as well. And then a third one, as far as relationships, um, you're still gonna you're still gonna have some problems there. But uh, at least you've got more of a sense of a community there in the apartment study room. You should, yeah, we should really hammer those last few points home because relationships and expectations, the parents expect less out of you. The expectation isn't that their kid is going to memorize 1,000 words because you don't attract that type of mom you attract the mom who wants real English, this Western style education. And then you also have an easier time with expectations because she knows that you can't have employees, you can't have staff, you can't have other teachers. So you are the teacher and the owner. So they're not gonna just bother you all the time blowing up your phone about mundane stuff. Oh, little Isabella left her pencils in class. Where are they? You know, as you get that call in the midst of a 20 student period. Yeah. Sorry for uh, mimicking my mom there. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's great as well. And then just in general, you're just going to attract a completely younger, smarter crowd. And also, this is something that I've actually discovered. You can't yell at your superiors. You can't directly confront people here, right? It's uncomfortable. So people have all of this bent-up frustration. I believe Han is kind of tied into that. You know, just having to eat your words whenever your older male family member yells at you, or your boss yells at you, or your husband yells at you. But you can let it go sometimes in certain situations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why people like to yell at sales reps here. 
That's why they like to yell at people. Well, they'll yell at... They'll be mean to Hagwon teachers. They'll be re mean to Academy teachers and Academy owners. Because that's one person they can really let leash on in life. Right. Or let loose on. So, um, you really get a lot less of that when you're a study room owner. For some reason, there's just a different expectation. But yeah. Um, maybe a bit... You have more? No, no, that's, I think we're good to go. Maybe a bit rambling, but yeah, we just, I figured we'd, we'd be good at talking about that, just to chat about it. There's so much information there. We probably could make a hundred, a hundred video series about that, because there's so many unique things there in every aspect. So you have all those different types of academies. You have all those different types of government agencies and legal issues that you need to try and figure out. Then you have all these just hundreds of different anecdotes about kind of the the illegal legal things that you have to do so this person said no but really they meant yes but that they meant no then you have to talk about all the differences in your expectations and the parents expectations and then the relationships just so much to talk about so um anyway Maybe we didn't talk about money, though, is one thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Maybe I'll tie that in on the end. Okay, so... Study Room Owners, we did a survey, actually, a few years ago, or I did, on um, Hagwon Startup, and what I discovered was the majority of people who own their own private education business made seven to $8,000 a month or more and 25% of them made over $12,000 a month or more in profit. If you're teaching a study room, probably the most you're going to want to get is 50 to 60 students. There's a fellow I know that had 99 students at one point, and that must have been a nightmare. Yeah. But I think he was doing only two days a week, so that's the same as like 50 students. Okay. Because they were only doing half weeks. So 50 students is really what you're going to get at, and 50 students at, you know, let's say 250 is kind of the average that I've seen. A lot of people do 350. If you're more of a cram-style academy, you can get up there more. But what's 50 times 250? Help, we got 12.5? Probably. Good, so... I I think, yeah, 12.5, so 12,500,000 won. Again, with probably no expenses. You're not supposed to charge for books, but again... Most people charge for books. So you can break even there. And so 12.5 over 12 months, I mean, you're looking at basically about 150 a year. What a great way to earn a, earn a living. And your taxes are much less here in Korea. So that's not unusual at all. That's really not unusual. That's pretty common to have 50 students. Many have 30 to 50 students. I would gladly take a 50-student study room <laughs> over owning these academies because it's it's just a lot less stressful. Now, an academy owner is going to have a lot more in expenses. So before you even get into staff, you can go ahead and subtract five million right off the top. Um, before you get into teaching staff, I'd say subtract five million um, because you're looking at rent, you're looking at other things, and you're looking at bus. So, I would say secretary, bus, rent, five. Some people live in more expensive areas, so. A lot of people have 70 to 100 students, but there's kind of that thing where it's like, once you bust past 100 students, it seems like the sky's the limit. But again, on, on our survey on our survey at Hagwon Startup, it was very rare when somebody was above 12 million, and it was even rare when somebody was above 14 million. So only 10% of people made above 14 million month in profit and that included hardware owners so in that case you kind of see that you can make a lot more money as a hogwan owner but it's not far off from how much money you can make as a study room owner and the quality of life is vastly different you work so much longer you work so much harder as a hogwan owner because you have staff you have buses you have schedules you have phone calls you have so much stress and your customers expect so much from you it's not really worth it, in my opinion, at all. 
Any thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, I pretty much agree there. Uh, and if you do want to do a hagwan, you can always, you know, start with a study room, a apartment, apartment study room, see how it goes, build from there. But there's no reason to jump right into a hagwan. I mean, unless you're just the person that has the money to invest there and the um, and the means and you've got a long-term plan but uh, yeah, I agree in most cases it's gonna make sense to start with the apartment study room and and probably stick with it right, cool well I hope you enjoyed our rant uh, if you guys actually liked hearing us talk about how to start your own business then we will definitely generate a much organized much more organized course for you about it uh, don't worry we'll throw it on up and go to our website hogwan or we started a hogwan.com where you can see a lot more long form articles about how to open a hogwan and uh yeah just let us know if you like this and we'll instead of having a conversation give you uh you know some organized stuff to look at on how to go through a step-by-step -step process of opening up a uh, hogwan peace Peace.